So hello, everybody. Welcome to our second contributor reading. Um, it's wonderful that you could join us tonight. Uh, we'll pretty much jump right in. We've already gotten the, the details out of the way at this point. Uh, everybody will have a chance to share something that they've uh, contributed to Wild Roof Journal, something new, one of, one of both. I think we're pretty much ready to, ready to roll. Uh, first up, we had uh, Sarah. So you have the uh, the luck of the draw tonight, and you're our first uh, first participant. Thank you, Aaron and Misty, for organizing this. Um, I'm Sarah Dovry-Wudali. I live in Minnesota. I grew up in farm country in Minnesota, and I'm going to read two poems today about the farm. The first one is called um, Keep It Between the Ditches, and um, it came out of uh, an ad I saw, a lost and found ad I saw in the Miniota mascot, which is the paper from my hometown. Keep It Between the Ditches. Blind Abo Olufsen lost his white cane and is taking his walks without it. A Korean War vet and 93, forgive him for leaving it like a cup of Starbucks on the roof of his pickup before driving south down County Road 3. He had been picking corn all day for his nephew and was distracted by dreams of uncountable light. And my second piece is the one that um, appeared in uh, the Wild Roof Journal. It is an ABCDarian. Um, so it, it each line uh, begins with a different letter of the alphabet. It goes through the alphabet. So 26 lines. It's called ABCDarian for an Abundant Harvest. Anhydrous ammonia for her fertilizer, permethrin for rootworm and corn for Glyphosate for weed control that clears a path for the combine. John Deere converting number two dent corn and diesel into dextrose, ethanol. Exactly how many ears end up as fructose or flakes? Farmers have always been gamblers, betting on growing seasons and genetics. Grit might get you to harvest but you'll need hydrochloric acid to make high fructose syrup. In my memory, in the ago, short or long being just a matter of relativity, back to the kernel, so to speak, of who I am, there was light through sharp green leaves and mud, uneven clumps, the naked flesh of fields. At night, the creak of stalks growing our 500-acre garden, twist of bean, swish of wheat, pollen-drenched breeze, quiet wind, for drama, the unending battle with deer and raccoons, we'd walk sweet rows with bare feet to leave our scent, 
fingering silk tassels and an occasional ugly lump of smut, its velvet bulbous surface wet from dew. Corn with generous xenia for all, the smut, the coon, the child, the wind. My memory yields bushel after bushel, which is a lot of zeal for a crop I never intended to harvest. Thank you. Very nice. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, so next up, we have another Sarah. This is going to be Sarah Croskett. I said that right? I have a whole bunch of them lined up here. <laughs> okay, so I am actually going to read the my submission that was uh, is in the current issue, the issue 18 of Wild Roof Journal. Um, and I'm so thrilled to be at another one of these events. I just think they're awesome and to be able to connect with this community. And I'm very thankful for all of you and Wild Roof Journal. So I, a few years ago, had the opportunity to move to a very small Inuit village in the North Slope Borough of Alaska. So I was up on the Arctic Ocean, um, about 75 miles west of Barrow, Alaska, teaching in a small Inuit village. And I went in October, and so I experienced all of the Northern Lights and also the Polar Night, two months of darkness. So when I wrote this, it was amazing to be there when, it, you know, you, a lot of us don't even think about the sun in the sky. Most days we get up, it's there, it sets. But when you have no sunlight or you have 20 minutes of sunlight, it's something that you really notice. So that's where this came from. So it's called darkness. Until a few years ago, I was afraid of the dark, especially when hiking in the forest. As soon as the late afternoon shadows began to settle in, I would panic. My breath became shallow and my pace would quicken to ensure I would reach the trailhead before it even remotely became dark. Darkness changes our perspective. Living deep within the Arctic Circle, I gained a real sense of place and position on this planet. It was humbling. I arrived by bush plane on October 31st, 2018 to a small Inuit village entombed in snow. In the days leading up to the polar night, the 24 hours of darkness from November 22nd, 2018 to January 19th, 2019, I observed the hours of daily sunlight decrease rapidly. It is a phenomenon that only those living closest to the ends of the earth experience. As the sun struggled to make its appearance over the horizon, I realized that the daily celestial cycle of sunrise and sunset, an event that most people take for granted and perhaps never ponder, was not going to materialize for 65 days in Wainwright, Alaska. As I watched the last bit of pink light drain from the sky on November 21st, I experienced the familiar fear of the dark. Darkness changes our perspective. Most plants begin their life in darkness. In the darkness of the earth's soil, protected and nourished by the sea, the tender young plant grounds itself with its roots. It slowly pushes through the darkness to spread its leaves to the light and in using the sun's energy begins to grow, bountiful, bountiful first in flowers and then in fruit. Plants use the warmth and the darkness of the soil to rest, awaiting optimal conditions for germination and growth. 
Moreover, many species of plants are night bloomers, unfolding their beautiful fragrant flowers in the dark of night to attract nocturnal pollinators. There is beauty in darkness. It brings quiet rest, solitude, and time to dream. It gifts us the opportunity to change our perspective. By enveloping ourselves in darkness, we can cultivate our ideas, germinate our creativity, and grow our fortitude and courage. We transform ourselves from mediocrity to greatness, unconsciousness to spiritual awakening, and meaningless to purpose. As the veil of darkness is lifted, we return to aliveness as brave, determined, sovereign beings of light. Awesome. Thank you. And we'll move on next up, uh, Cleo Griffith. Yes, hello. Um, I'm Hi. very happy to be included. And my poem that appeared in your publication uh, was born out of the California wildfires that we have annually. When morning comes. When morning comes and sky is filled with smoke of gray, each summer's hard and different curse. I turn my head from sun and this dark cloak of nature bound to smite the universe. At sunset's twisted orange and red display, my heart must break for pain of Earth's demise. Once more I cringe, turn round, walk hard away. In tears for damage, stop, apologize. Here many stand, all solemn and contrite. We pledge again to make our planet clean. As skies grow pink, all through each fearsome night. We chant our vows, we write the plan we mean. Tomorrow we will clean the ashy ground and sign our names to promises profound. Thank you. Thank you so much, Cleo. Um, next we have Ellen June Wright. Ellen, are you here? Yes, yes I am. I can read uh, the poem that's in the uh, journal and I can read one other. And I just want to thank you for the opportunity to share my work and thank you for selecting it. At four in the morning, across the highway, the hum of small planes flying in and out of the local airport, closer, the whir of the oscillating fan and the glow of the bedside lamp warms a favorite book. At four in the morning, the day is between ending and beginning. The bed is strewn with magazine clippings and clothes. July nights are not for sleeping, but for rummaging through the past, gleaning minefields in search of the forgotten. It's a time to dream under the soft white light, my, with eyes wide open, a time to sound words together like symbols, a time to remember and discard memory. And I can read one other. My mom, 
is about to turn 98 years old. I've been writing about her for about 30 years. And this is one of a series of poems about her. As numbers on the monitor descend, I watch mother try to sleep like, sleep like a, a hospital gown, try on sleep like a hospital gown that doesn't fit. The angiogram normal arteries are blocked. Yet for weeks she's been tired and growing weaker until the day I saw her warm brown skin ashen with heavy crescents draped underneath her cloudy eyes. By the time she made it to the car, her chest felt as though an iron weight sat upon it. Four days later, she's still in the hospital, having been tested and retested. In the pastoral silence of a Thursday evening, I'm alone with her wander wondering, are these our last days together, knowing we are not ready to part? She's 85. We're running out of time to put things right. We live in a world of words unspoken. We both have feeble hearts as monitors tick, tick, tick. Thank you. And you had uh, the honor of appearing as the first piece in one of our issues. So that's an extra, an extra bonus along the way. So I always say appreciating the order of uh, Putting together an issue is always one of my favorite parts. So, um, beginning pieces, end pieces, middle pieces—we all need them. So, um, it's always appreciated when we have a um, a nice starting piece. So, thanks for that. And next, uh, Bruce Parker. Greetings from Portland, Oregon. Hi, Bruce. I I have struggled with the lighting and I've never been able to be anything but the purple poet of Portland. Uh, I have three short poems I would like to read. The first is my poem that was in Wild, Lou, Wild Roof, Ledbetter Point, Washington, November. The trees peer in black lace and fading light. In the afternoon, blood mushrooms by the bay, the sound of surf, miles of trail traveled the way back to a beginning, art, weather-bleached map in the dusk, heron on the wing, only slightly disturbed over oyster beds asleep, mud under their feet. Nothing is more gray than this sky. Silence is folded away answerable to no one. I thought I knew what it was, what I wanted, the gift of days, what slipped away, its gaze faded as sunlight slides through half-closed limbs. The second poem I'd like to read also appeared in Wild Loop. It was written by the late Alex Levins. Alex took his own life in 2021, so he's not here to read it to you himself. Uh, Mr. E. Lafat and I have collected his poems 
and they will be published by Finishing Line Press this spring. Pre-order sales begin in April. This one is Sawhead Owl. The best I could see in the dark, shapes of wings broke free from the other night shapes and flew low across the snowy ground. When I found the owl under the hemlock, his yellow eyes sharpened under the flashlight. He's like me, small. He might not make it through winter, but he is well suited for the night and fierce given his size. He had just enough strength, just enough eyesight, just enough quiet on the wing. He's just shrewd enough with the talons to lever over his prey. Finally, the third poem I want to read is from my chapbook, Ramadan and Summer, that came out in Finishing Line Press in 2022. This is the last poem and my favorite, Ice Cream. When the night was black and holy, deep, distant streetlights calling across broken land, the boy climbed out his bedroom window to join a friend. The two walked toward being young men, not yet, not quite, till they reached the street and went into a well-lit ice cream shop, where, stunned by the beauty and charm of the girl behind the counter, little older than they, language stumbled on their lips, and their eyes could hardly believe someone so curved so soft of skin, would ask them what flavor they wanted. The night, black and holy, sealed off by a plate glass window, the shop, white and cool, reserved for memory, the taste of vanilla and longing, scarcely recognized, for flavor as yet unidentified. They left whelmed in unconscious bafflement, vaguely wondering how one got more than ice cream, what was wanted, what it would taste like. Thank you, Erin, for organizing this. It's been terrific. Thank you very much for sharing. Um, next, we have Trapper Merkel. Are you here? Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Misty. Thanks, Erin. Uh, hello, everybody from Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, and thanks for the opportunity to be here today. Uh, my name is Trapper Markells. My pronouns are he, him. And I'm reading my poem, Negative Land, which was selected by Wild Roof uh, and published in issue number 16 in September of 2022. And funny enough, this poem originated from a button poetry workshop put on by Sabrina Benim. And we had one minute to write as many verbs as we could think of. And then we had five minutes to write 10 lines based on one of the verbs. And the verb I chose was dig. And the poem I'm reading today is almost exactly how it poured out in those five minutes, 10 lines, five stanzas, uh, only a few words changed in the editing process for flow and rhythm. And I just wanna thank Wild Roof Journal and the editors for the, for the publication. Uh, it's a poem that contemplates the future and the past, and it's curious about the stories of artifacts that we make and, and lose in time. It's a poem that's curious about the arc of a life 
and a family. Uh, it's also a prescriptive poem that asks you to imagine the arc of your own life. And it's a poem that wonders what is left when the things that you treasure ultimately go missing. Uh, the poem is called Negative Land. Take this shovel and dig your hole in the ground. Pretend it is an excavation filled with bones and broken pots. Take the rocks and stack them into a wall. Mark the hole and all that might fall in or be placed with petals. Take the dirt and form it into bricks to build a home filled with the pots and bones that have yet to unmend. Take the kettle from the stove that burns the wood, burns the roof of your mouth, burns all the way down. Take the hole in the ground and fill it with your ending, a place for family to return and rest a flower upon your stone. Thank you. Excellent, thanks. You never know which one of those prompts is gonna end in a poem, you know? So you gotta keep trying, keep trying. So it's always fun to get one that kind of just pops out like that. So thanks for sharing that. Next up, we have Linda Briskin. Thanks, Aaron, and thanks to Wild Roof for hosting this lovely event. Uh, I'm Linda Briskin. I live in Toronto, but right now I'm very lucky to be in Palm Springs, California for four months. Um, and I, Wild Roof published two short pieces of fiction of mine, but I'm going to write, read a new one. And this one is called Worn. The cowboy boots had been carefully placed at the edge of the sidewalk, tooled and red, the leather scuffed, the toes curled up. They had the stillness of waiting, of certainty. She slowed the garbage truck and peered sideways. The boots were really there, an invitation, not a garbage-induced mirage. The junk she had seen at the side of the road, broken toilets, soiled wedding dresses, their tool ripped, old lampshades, chairs missing a leg, Stuffed teddy bears with matted fur and no eyes, food debris spilling from cracked plastic containers, mattresses stained with too much life, once white dressers, drawers askew, a giant panda covered in Remembrance Day poppies, empty guitar cases, mirrors cracked and dangerous, but red boots, cowboy boots of that, never. Usually, she was surly, indifferent to life. Earlier that morning, the sun coming through the blinds was an annoyance. She had grabbed a Pop-Tart on her way out, not bothering to toast it. She couldn't work up the energy to be annoyed by the barking of the neighbor's two terriers, irritatingly called Tick and Talk. She walked the two blocks to the garage depot without registering the fresh morning air. Once there, a few drivers nodded at her, but she ignored them. She hated their eyes on her. She'd given up on socializing years back, aware she had nothing to say and never got their jokes. She picked up her collection schedule and set out. The power of the truck, once a pleasure, was now an oddly unattractive extension of herself. 
a sudden swell of desire. I want those red boots. She slammed on the brakes. The growl of the engine stopped and the chatter of squirrels filled the sudden silence. She opened the door and leapt down. As if she were meeting a new friend, she adjusted the suspenders on her faded denim overalls and ran her hands through her cropped graying hair. She crouched, knees cracking. The leather on the red boots was soft and happily worn, the heels down at the edge. She untied the knotted laces on her garbage-collecting Timberlands and set one beside the other. They looked like her feet even when she wasn't wearing them. Familiar they were, comforting even, but she didn't feel any attachment to them. Like an awkward ostrich, she stood on the sidewalk in her threadbare gray socks with the white bands and blue stripes. She eyed the red boots. Of course they won't fit. She was all too familiar with disappointment and didn't expect even tiny miracles. She pulled on one red boot and then the other. They hugged her feet like a welcome, a surge of uncommon joy. The blue of the sky, the yellow crocus heads breaking through in the garden next to the truck, the early green froth on the trees. It was spring. She couldn't resist clicking her heels. With a fist in the air, she hooted as loud as she could. An old couple holding closely to each other turned to stare. Unusually for her, she didn't mind the attention. She casually tossed the old Timberlands in the back of the truck and moved toward the front, tapping the side of the vehicle in a staccato rhythm. At the door, she grabbed the handle and was halfway into her seat when she stopped and stepped back down. She lifted one foot and looked at the red boot, almost smiling. Slowly, she returned to her discarded boots, which were already sinking into piles of garbage. She leaned in and retrieved them, shook off a bit of apple peel that had stuck to the sole, and set her old boots on the sidewalk. Two worn work boots, weathered steel toes pointing forward, sat waiting, perhaps an invitation. Back in the cab of the truck, the red boots were singing Patsy Cline's Walkin' After Midnight. She found herself humming along as she drove to the next stop on her route. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so next up we have Ian Schultz. Uh, thank you. Um, so this piece was, appeared in issue 17, I believe, of Wild Roof. Um, and it was featured on the podcast too. Grandfather passes in the hall. I invoke your death to take from you the certainty of your hands that press steel poles into the lake bed to lay out the dock in the spring. I carry you when I'm stuffed with caramel corn. You better get in on this kid. I pick up a fork from the table and hold it close to my eye, regardless of your warning. I carry you like a dark heart in the world I crawl in. Phyloprogenitive herds for shelter and warm disinterest. I evoke your death and ask it to be memorable. You said I looked bored at your deathbed. I guess I was bored at your deathbed and squirmed in my little body away from eye contact. I want more from you now. I want to cross the bridge north to a wilderness clear cut and picked over. Legions of copper miners, loggers, and fishermen feeding their winnings down the rivers over lakes 
I want more from you now. Birch trees along a highway whose paper white bark makes good kindling, though the tree may die if the bark is removed directly from the trunk. I would only do that if it were life or death, Dad said when we went to the cabin to clean. I will never build a home or cure deer meats. I will cross a bridge far to the south. Small fires on steel towers burn off natural gas. The pavement bathes in fog. I invoke your death to be remembered by you. Thank you. Excellent. Thanks. Uh, Rachel couldn't make it tonight, but that was her selection on the podcast episode. So we we uh, shared our thoughts about that one. I don't know if they're accurate or not, um, but you can listen to those if you look up the uh, previous episode. So thanks for sharing that, Paul. And looks like Beth Doolin. Hey, everybody. I'm happy to be here and really honored to appear in Issue 18 of Wild Roof Journal. Thanks, Aaron and Misty, for hosting this. Thank you for um, having my work. I was I was so inspired by um, by reading the journal and, and um, seeing all the amazing artwork. So I had a piece called Baptism appear. And uh, I'm coming. I'm here from the eastern shore of Maryland, by the way. OK. Baptism. It was a cattle trough, a corrugated metal cattle trough, just like they used on the farm to water the cows. That was one of her chores, to fill it up with a hose every night. Sometimes she would stare off into space, forget it was running, and it would overflow. She looked down at the trough, about two-thirds full, still enough to drown her in if he held her down long enough. She told him, now remember, I can't swim. He smiled. I've done hundreds of these, and I've never drowned anyone yet. She was naked beneath a white choir robe, barefoot, no jewelry. Her friends stood behind her, holding her possessions. He asked her if she was ready. She nodded and stepped down into the trough. The water was lukewarm. The robe swirled and spread out around her, billowing outward on the surface of the water. She crouched down and he moved closer and put his left hand up to her forehead. She closed her eyes. He told her, he forgives you. This water is washing you clean of all your sins. She was thinking about everything awful that she'd ever done, even the things she'd never told anyone. Her mind was racing. She wanted him to wait. Everything awful was becoming a film loop in her head. She thought about opening her eyes. He tipped her backward under the water and up again in one swift movement. Water was dripping down her face. She stopped thinking. She stood motionless, shocked. In the car on the way home, her friend asked her if she felt any different. She closed her eyes trying to remember before, took a long drag from her cigarette and shrugged. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Um, next up, we have Nicole Farmer. Hi, everyone. I am currently residing in Asheville, North Carolina, and I'm going to read a poem called Mattress in the Rain. It's in issue 18. And I want to say thank you very much to Wild Roof Journal and to Aaron for inviting me this evening. 
Uh, I want to preface this just by saying that I have worked with young children for about 30 years, and I really love my job, <laughs> even though this poem has um, a little darkness to it. Um, in the Montessori tradition, we observe children um, and take notes. So it's really a fun activity for those of us who love to write anyway. Um, and this poem came out of that. And then I have a very short poem that I'm going to read after that. Mattress in the rain. This beautiful, miserable girl, only four years old, who whines and cries daily, hourly, for the attention it affords her. Hurts to look at her, she is so stunning. Believe me, she knows it. Pity her lover, yes I do, when years from now she's sauntering down Fifth Avenue with that pouty scowl. Her reflection mirrored in the shoe store window, disappointed again, never having her expectations met the way she knows they should be. Her current devotee running circles backwards, pleading, promising the sun or the shoes she covets or the hairstyle she needs or the convertible she requires. If only she would smile again in their direction. Now she's climbing the jungle gym the boys a rung below gazing up her skirt, the girls on the ground with craning necks. She spits down venomous words. You can't play to her girlfriends, then adds only us to reassure the lads. They all follow her anyway, mesmerized, yearning, confused, trailing behind, chasing beauty so blindly coming to believe they must suffer for it. Leaning against the lamppost, this soggy, teary girl, once new and adored as layers of fine linen, ideal for laying or spooning, drenched and discarded in the storm. This next piece is a recent poem. I just wrote it last week. And I thought I would share it. It came from a prompt uh, given by my instructor at Lighthouse Writers Workshop. And the instructions were to write instructions for someone in how to do something. How to walk your dog. Begin by tossing all your mom's prescription drugs down the toilet. Then skip merrily through the house humming a tune until it hits you that they will all dissolve and end up in the city water system or the ocean, worse, and tear your hair at your own stupidity. When you hear her alarm go off, run to get the dog and whisper, we have to get the hell out of here. Dash to the car and sit still together while the engine warms. If you hear a whippoorwill and feel the pink streaked sky cloud your mind and the overhead light melts and drips into your coffee mug, then you are ready to be dragged through the woods by a 15-pound terrier who refuses to learn to fly. Don't boss him, don't cross him, he's wild in his danger. No, wait, that was just the smell of stars crashing to the earth and the taste of your palms exploding in a joy you cannot explain for the beauty of this new day. Don't worry, the rabbit can lead you home. Thank you.
Awesome. Thanks, Nicole. Where are we after Nicole? Looks like uh, Walter. Walter Weinschenk. That would be me. Okay. Excellent. Aaron, I want to thank you so much, uh, first of all, for including my poem. I appreciate that. I appreciate being a part of this presentation. And uh, I think it's just great. And I've really enjoyed everything I've heard. I really, it's really a, a nice experience. Uh, a shout out, I think, was to Beth, uh, who is a Marylander, and I'm a Marylander, so we got we're well represented in this uh, slate of slate of people. So um, I, I think it was Beth, but at any rate, I know there's two of us. This poem appeared in November 2022, uh, issue number 17. It is called "Questions for a Tree." And um, I just before I get into it, it's very short, but um, it it's not about climate change. It wasn't. It doesn't stem from any kind of um, ecological kind of uh, you know um, sentiment. Um, what it does come from is uh, when you think about a tree, and you pass by a tree. I well, it dawns upon it dawned upon me that they don't move until they die. They're in one place, and they live their life. Obviously, there's exceptions if somebody moves them, but they stay there. And I feel a kind of a kinship to some of the trees that kind of stick in the ground, and they're there as I go about the small dramas of my life. The the tree. The trees around me, they stay content, sober, and still. So uh, that's where this poem came from. It's called Questions for a Tree. How do you remain so still as the ground shifts beneath your weight? Resolute, tranquil, in the driving rain. How do you know the rain will end? How do you remain so calm? as vicious drought begins its onslaught. The wind breaks your arms, the living rip your hide, but you're resigned. The storm approaches, where's your fear? Chained to the ground, where's your rage? Your skin is scarred and so is mine. Lower your branches, wrap me in leaves, lift me up, carry me. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. So next up we have Samira Shakib Regeth. <laughs> yes, that's right. Samira Shakib Regeth. Hi. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Thank you so much uh, for having uh, us and having this uh, Wild Drift Journal. Thank you for all the people behind the scenes that are making it happen. And I am really glad to be here. Thank you for um, having capacity be in January 2023's uh, issue 18. Um, it was really fun to be able to know that it was like I could begin the year knowing that something was out there. I think as writers, it's always fun to know that. <laughs> um, so this piece is called Capacity, and it's pretty much dropping you into a 
hectic morning where the narrator is having um, a hard time keeping her mental load in check. And as a writer, it was really cool to describe that feeling using a whole a whole ton of uh, slashes. <laughs> so that was fun. So I think you'll probably pick up on where they are as I read this. All right, here we go. I hadn't said anything all morning, so I assumed I'd be okay. Akio ate scrambled eggs with his hands. Adina poured herself a glass of lemonade and Amir, uncaring of flying droplets or dishes clinking, held my leg, waiting for me to pull him up and sing our morning song. I threw the last dish onto the drying rack and knelt down to get him. I was late for work and resented the routine. Akio yelled, stop it, Adina. I look over my shoulder to tell Akio to chill, but slip on the edge of the matted blanket Amir has dragged into the kitchen. Adina, it wasn't me. She closes the door and, and turns toward her room. I didn't bring that here. The back of her hair is temporarily purple, but all I can picture are her eyes rolling. Her body, shaped like mine, but with her dad's Korean backside, flat like a pancake, walks away from the scene. I meant Akio. I meant Akio. You guys know what I mean. And stop messing with your brother. She closes her bedroom door to ignore me. Akio shrugs and grabs the TV remote. Go get ready for school right now, Akio. He throws the remote control on the table. Its clunk is rude and defiant. He looks at me. I don't say a word. I didn't mean to throw it. It slipped from my hands. I don't say a word. Fine, I'll go. He, he walks to his bathroom and pokes his head out of the door. Mom, did you sign the field trip form? I don't answer him. Did you? I look at him, but I don't want to say what I'm thinking because I am trying or was trying to stay quiet today. If I speak up, I'll yell. I'll hear it in my head. Did you ask your father to sign it? When did I have time to fill out the form and put the check in the envelope? Where is my checkbook? Will they take Venmo? Maybe I could have done it before swim practice. I ordered groceries online then, though. Maybe I should have signed it after you all ate dinner that I cooked with your taste buds and mine. Chicken tenders for Amir, no chicken for Akio because he eats only vegetarian food like his father, and a smoothie for Adina because she read an article about how she should skip chewing after 6 p.m. Is Adina starting an eating disorder? Akio spends too much time on his iPad. What's that monitoring app I'm supposed to install? I need to figure out what's happening with my logins. Autofill and my passwords aren't working. I overdrafted my bank account. We need to save money for college. Did June pay tuition for Amir's daycare last, daycare last week? I don't want to pay the late fee or feel the shame of a sloppy parent. Will my kids favor him because I've turned into the mean one? I used to be silly. We haven't gone on a date for years. I don't even know how to talk to him anymore. Instead, I bite my tongue. I take a breath. I remind myself of the quiet I'll have in the car on the way to work and how I'll inevitably feel bad for not sending them off to school in peace. Still on the floor, I rub my ankle. I'm at eye level with Amir now. What he, what he, wanted, what he waited for has happened after all. He has my attention. For a second, I imagine that I sigh and lean back on the kitchen island in that gaze, I realize that life is short and that he's only this young once and to take a minute to just hold him in my arms and be proud of myself. I resent that thought. It's friction is more than I can bear today. I yell at him instead. What did I tell you about dragging your blanket out of your bed? You're four now, not a baby anymore. Amy runs out of the kitchen to find his dad who is still in bed. June waits for us all to leave so he can make his coffee in peace. Sometimes when I walk by the bedroom on a hectic morning, I see him looking at the ceiling one leg bent and the other stretched as though he's in the shadows on the beach. Yet another action he commands without doing a thing. He never says it, but I know it. He doesn't feel responsible. I'd been making it easy on him to silently disappear from parenting for years. Amir and I wait on the bus to pick up Adina in a skirt two inches shorter than when we bought it. The hem is unevenly cut and a string dangles down at the inseam. I dig my fingers into my palm and don't say anything. 
a few minutes later, the elementary bus picks up Akio, who is so excited because I packed him chopsticks with his lunch. These are for you. This, these are for your eating like you do at home. Don't let your friends take them and poke someone's eye out. I mean it when I say it. His friends are rude little kids with unbrushed hair. Akio laughed. I feel for a second that his laughter erases all my shortcomings. Maybe he didn't notice my outburst. Maybe he doesn't sense my aggravation. Maybe I didn't fail this morning. When Amir and I turn around to walk home, Amir points to the lamppost and says, Akio's bag, mommy. There it is. A yellow, shiny Pokemon backpack. No bag, no lunch. June is brewing coffee when we walk into the house. His back is to us as he stares outside the kitchen window. You need to take this to school right now, I say as I take Amir's shoes off. Sure, he left it. Did you guys not see it before he got on the bus? No, obviously. Okay, let me drink my coffee and send a few emails first. Amir finds two toy cars under the table and jumps on the couch. I grab my coffee mug off the foyer table and take the first sip. Now tepid after sitting out for an hour. The school won't allow drop-offs once the bell rings, so please go now, I insist. Can't you do it on your way to work? I don't say anything. 30 seconds in the microwave should be good enough. If I wear jeans and that blouse hanging in the laundry room, I can put my hair up. That will save me time. I need to get gas on the way. Adina's dance class starts early today. Oh, shit. I have to pick up her uniform from the dry cleaner on my lunch break. The new dance shoes better be on the doorstep. The app said they'll arrive before 5 p.m. I haven't sent the RSVP to June's cousin's wedding. If I eat only 1,200 calories from now until June, I'll fit into the fancy blue dress again. I need to get to Macy's to get the kids' wedding clothes. I need to put extra clothes in Amir's bag. He's regressing again. If I have to buy another bag of pull-ups, I'll have failed. I can't be late to work. Not today. I should at least look like I'm ready for the promotion I applied for. But I don't want to work. I need to work. I should work. But I don't want to work. Didn't mom say to major in accounting instead? I did so many things wrong. I need to talk to the kids about college. Don't be that parent. Not yet. So can you drop it off? He asks. Sure. Something wrong? No. He walks closer and rubs the sleep out of his eyes. You sure? You don't have the capacity to understand. He shrugs his shoulders. All right. He's content, he asked, and that's good enough for him. I drive to Akio's school in silence with the Pokemon bag on my lap. You should talk to him. You don't want your marriage to end up like your parents. You don't want your kids to be surprised when you get divorced. Eventually, divorced? That word doesn't feel like this situation. I remember when my uncle got divorced, the cousins were in their 40s. It shouldn't bother them, but it did. How do they handle holidays? I wouldn't mind. I'd give June the kids on all the holidays. I want a quiet house on the holidays. It's all the other days that are filled anyways. What's so special? The lights? I'm 10 minutes late. I'm four months late. I'm 20 years late. I should have been like Adina, rude and bold. I'll cry in the car just a little, but I'll start again tomorrow and do better. I can make this better. I'll just get up earlier tomorrow morning. Thank you. Thanks so much. I think there might be one or two other people who relate a little bit <laughs> um, to a morning like that. So um, thanks for sharing. Um, and if you do read that piece in the issue, like you mentioned, it's, there's a little bit of formatting to play around with. So it, it has a little bit of a, a slightly different effect as you read. Uh, moving along, uh, Naomi Bess uh, Limesider. Hi. Thank you. Thank you so much for uh, including me and for publishing this poem in the latest issue of Wild Root Journal. Thank you. This is called Pact. Let's never speak of it again. Chalk it up to lesson learned, a universe all caught up in itself controls nothing. 
But every so often, the blunt true force of that thought strikes, and I am suddenly shook. What might have been, could have been, pulls me down, shakes me out. My oneling in her solid singleton physical form remains her maverick self out wandering the world. She is still here. There won't be a next time. I came home a humbled woman. You'll find me in the next phase of my surge where errant electrical charges and the metallic taste of potential tangible loss on my tongue reminds me I'm just energy made up of aching bits and pieces, twisted building blocks, alive and able elements, baffled by the terrible, unknowable future, ready to surrender to sacrifice, offer up sand and salt in massive hourglasses, or what's in my own skull, in my own smooth and empty head. Uneven bargains, whispered epiphanies, covenants sworn and kept. I will live lightly after this. The animal within groans to life, searches far corners for the one who is of itself, who grew inside. No one else, definitely not me, can be trusted. This is what is left. Human-like middle space organs skirting past shady parts. It insists I consider the cost of my ongoing allegiance to multiple magical thoughts, the dissembling versions of why I appear and disappear, the way I was just humming along under clouds, under sky, under the deadly weight of the give and take of time, endlessly waiting for the inevitable fall and rise. Everything comes back to that morning. You and I do not know what will happen, who goes next, the things we don't tell children. I went in wild, went in flailing, seizing on mixed signals. I came out questioning the world of my false face, my seemingly comfortable place nestled in the warm body of the mad universe. Came out stripped, afflicted, stunned. What have I done? What have I done? Thank you. Thank you. And so next we have Eben Bien. Fine. Fine is my last name. Yeah. Hi, welcome. Hi, everybody. Eben here. They pronouns are great. Um, I'm calling in from Pawtucket land, also sometimes called Cambridge, Massachusetts. And the uh, really grateful to be here and to listen to all your work. Um, the poem that was published in the recent issue is, is part of a, a collection I'm working on about um, estrangement and love and healing between parents and kids. Navigating that um, and, and the, the biographical and fictional lines <laughs> um, around that. Um, uh, and I actually wanted to, because the, the poem that's in this issue really talks about the positive part of my experience, um, the, the sort of lighter part, including how my mom introduced me to poetry. I want to give a, a, a poem in a different part uh, of, of the collection that um, is going to be going live with um, New Ohio Review soon. Woo! Um, so anyway, 
Here is mother standing in the Atlantic. Once the ferry to Provincetown cleared the neck, the headlands decorated with lighthouses, and it whipped along at some impressive number of knots. I do not know how much speed is in a knot, but let's just say she carried me at a spate of knots towards some dark shape in the middle of the ocean, no island to be seen. It finally resolved. A lighthouse, spitless, standing alone in the royal, searching the ocean on her one long and rusted leg. I had assumed all lighthouses were mothers come to call their children in, leaning on their rocky fences, waiting, getting cold, muttering. It's an island. How far could they possibly get? Far. And who would keep looking? I do not know what kind of hope I am allowed. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. Heidi Ziegler. Hey, y'all. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm joining in from Mexico City, and I'm going to read my poem that appeared in the November issue. It's called Rock Pigeons. In the second decade of our returning to the ancient land, we met rock pigeons mating and nesting and whirring and shitting on mop bucket, heater, suitcase, ladder, forgotten back balcony, little bothered by us. Reclaiming with mineral what has always been animal by their shitting showing us the elemental return to my feet disappearing in rising seas. I lean forward to the antediluvian before sowing and reaping back to piling bottle caps on corpses. I drag cans to the curb, dropping shells in heaps on our dead, breathing polypropylethylene and fishing gear into the great Pacific, red on our hands, deep inside the sacred garbage patch. I step to the counter, ordering tall bleached caves before the earliest sayings of I. Plastic and cardboard, I tap my phone, hauling home to the circling of we of surviving, to our growing, another flat of water bottles. I will gather days into sterling silver, wing and sing alongside matrix and mouth. Gains wound into zeros, I sit on a golden toilet, uploading plastic and steel forgotten for flint and fur, feathers, scales, eyes shut, these lines singing, I, I, to some know anyone's ear, letting marble and gold go to skin and stone. And I just want to share um, a life poem that I'm very excited about, which is that here in the middle of our 12-story apartment towers, there's a golden eagle that came back today that I haven't seen for a couple of years. Um, and it just, it makes me really happy. And I think y'all are people who would appreciate that. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you. 
So next we'll have Lisa Delon. Thank you. Wow, there's just so much richness to absorb in this hour. I'm just so grateful to be here. Thank you to everybody and to Aaron and Wild Roof. I'm going to read three short poems. Um, the first one called Recreation uh, is published in the current issue. Still there is language, clattering of tongues, plating baskets to hold days, sort nights, porous vessels for everything most important. At night, I cut and tuck my words, start and stop weave, sliding them into the hollow core to ensure that nothing is lost, nothing is taken when I close my eyes. My fingers nick notches, scratching the sides, strands catch in my nails. I cannot bear to feel fissures, so I pray. Orisons wrap around, everything the moon's shadow dims, where the sheen of faith is all I have to find rest. This morning I felt where I had lain, cupped my words, stained and aged in my hands, afraid to find what the moon stole when my lids were sealed. When I speak, I start anew. In the weave break, I sift silence. Fertile in the light, I teach myself to create more. Thank you. The uh, Well, we're a few days out from my dad's first yard site, uh, which is the anniversary of his passing from the world. So I'm going to read two short poems that were previously published, uh, one written when we were awaiting an uh, oncological diagnosis and the other right after we lost him. Um, the first is called Dad. The night before. My ribs are collapsing around the muscle they are bound to protect, laying lifeless as bones stripped of marrow, a diagram of the desert. I hear everything as from a distance except your voice, wind in my ears. As we await the appointed time, you are both saved and gone, here and already far away. I want to be gravity pulling you to the earth, a centripetal force begging your body to remain here with mine in the center of our knowing. Let me bury your toes in the sand and pray for a mirage of water to weight the grains, a miracle in this arid outpost, lest you free your feet and walk into the beyond away from me. But your freedom is no longer here in a body, on the earth, in these lives with their utterly convincing mass. I am holding air, Dad, and you are becoming vapor. And the uh, second poem is called What You Leave Behind. A ghost on the mattress, fuzz in the lint trap, the wind between words, a watch, birthday cards in a file, a COVID booster, Ice melting in a Starbucks cup, a closet full of hangers, your mother's eyes in my face, a cracked iPhone, the ache of all travelers whose home is fleeting, a peck at bedtime, an uneaten knish, a solitary drumstick, and a trove of stories I cannot tell. Thank you.
Thanks so much. Thank you, Aaron. Uh, let's see, Amy, Amy Mark. Yeah, well, Amy Marquez or Amy Marquez, however you want to pronounce it. Now I'm all lumped up, like I'm a mess after <laughs> Lisa. <laughs> How's somebody supposed to read after that? Um, <laughs> um, I have a few things. I, I'm going to try to hold um, a book up and share with you. And I do want to read a short fiction piece that isn't the one that's in Wild Roof. Um, I have an old novel that I picked up in one of those little libraries. It's a Thomas Wolfe, um, The Party at Jack's. And I did not appreciate it. And it was a really good exercise to play with erasing other people's words. And my favorite kind of editing is deleting. And when people say, maybe you could expand on this, then my solution is to delete the part that needs expanding and just make the piece shorter. Um, and so I've been playing with his words. And this is the one that's getting published um, in that, that is in this issue of Wild Roof. And it's called Hypocritical. And it said, they sometimes use obviously hypocritical voice. And you can see like the visuals better, but I did want to share my most recent one with all of you. It has a little bit of a Cookie Monster vibe to it, I think. Um, and the words are, it looks like a soft boiled egg. Think of a soft boiled egg, so pleasant. And I'll share one more. So this is like my palate cleanser between writing, so I get to delete somebody else's words. And here's one more. And the words say, she thought suddenly of indignant contempt, scorn, arrogance. It did not sit well. Then it was gone. It's kind of my happy place. And now that I've recovered from Lisa's reading, um, I'll share a, a story with you. This one is not in Wild Roof. Um, and and it's been nominated for a few things, and it probably is one of my favorites. Um, it's called Chrysalisis. You won't remember that I said I liked blueberry jam, even though I preferred strawberry just because you didn't like red in your food. French fries were hard to eat because they didn't taste right without ketchup, but ketchup made you cry because sometimes squirrels couldn't cross the road quickly enough. Our mom's garden was full of yellow peppers and cucumbers and squash and a single plant of golden heirloom tomatoes. After the year when I picked all the red tomatoes before they were ripe, mom said we might as well be the only family in the world that made pizza with yellow sauce. You won't remember that I stood behind you when the school bus door opened and glared at the bus driver until he said good morning to you too. I stood until you'd removed your backpack and checked your pockets three times before sitting down. He wasn't supposed to drive until we were seated, and everyone knew I would tattle if he did. The bus was always full, and I wished I didn't have to sit beside you because I knew it was too close. But I was the only one who knew to scoot to the far edge of the seat and sit perfectly straight and pull in my backpack after every turn and not ask you questions you couldn't answer. 
You won't remember that I learned the eloquence of your silences and the way your hand fluttered when you were excited and how you hummed when you wanted me to pay attention. We watched Robin Hood every afternoon after school, and I begged mom to buy three extra copies of the DVD just in case. I said the petting zoo was excitement enough for me, and I didn't want to go to Sandy's backyard camping sleepover anyway. Summer camp was only a daydream, and while other kids splashed in the public pool, I stared at the ground helping you track the trajectory of bugs. Then I grew up. Out. Never away. You couldn't have known that I fell in love with Ben because he talked to you, even when you forgot to look at him, and he made you a mixtape for your old cassette player with every one of your favorite songs in just the right order. He even watched Robin Hood with you and swore that French fries taste better with ranch anyway. You had never held a child until my son was born. He won't remember that you seem to always know why he cried and that even though you didn't like being touched, you pulled him into you and hummed until his tears subsided. He might not understand what it meant that you sliced strawberries, his favorite, into perfect quarters and even swallowed the one his little fingers stretched out towards your mouth. He might not remember that you walked him to his bus every day before school and even learned to wave at the bus driver when she called out a cheery good morning. Now I watch you both, boy and man. You sit in the shade, arms thrown over the other's shoulders, fingers gently fluttering in excitement as you wordlessly watch a new butterfly unfurl its wings. I once thought I had to make myself small to fit into your world, but my son has always understood that your world has the vastness of the unspeakable. I'll always remember that. Thank you. Thank you so much. So it looks like our last reader of the evening is going to be Alex Stanley. All right, so uh, I'll just read one of the two poems I had in the journal. Um, is it to send us off well? into our respective evenings. This one is essentially just about my days of college out in Boston, but uh, all the while my head and my heart were still in Arizona where, where I grew up. So it's called Dark Struck. We could live forever at this age and never bring the time we have to rhythms of memory, the finger tapping beginning to slip, the symbols of night take a blurred form. Skyscrapers a few blocks away like monarchs. Spare gold in office windows like moonlight. Overcoats huddled together like buffalo hides. The evening offers us decidedly less. The emptiness we spend our days running from is here now to run through, to scream, to travel the tunnel beneath the sleeping overpass. It's only our echo. It's only our trail of breath lingering behind this concrete mass, making for idyllic impossibilities. The other herds knock their knees together on stoops and atop pony walls waiting for their cars. It's the season to look for what's been missing. This time spent waiting when I only wanted you. I hold you for all your warmth.
Each train tramples the ground beneath it. Still, I can hear nothing of tonight, only your lips. They whisper of the cold, parting just long enough to meet mine, to meet my eyes, kissing them closed. Thank you. Awesome, thanks so much. So what can I say? Thanks everybody, they, these are such amazing pieces. Um, it's good to connect a face with a poem or a whatever piece, an essay, a story. If we haven't uh, crossed paths previously before tonight, it's nice to meet you. And other than that, I'll just say thanks again. I really appreciate you sharing your work, um, submitting it in the first place, um, and then joining in this evening to uh, share it uh, with the rest of us. Good night. Thanks, everybody. Wonderful. Thanks so much. Thanks. No <laughs> it keeps scrolling. Thank you all so much. Beautiful. Absolutely outstanding. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, A Catherine. wonderful event. <laughs> wonderful words. Very pleased to have participated. Thank you to Wild Roof. To everyone. I agree. Yep. I agree. That was so lovely. Thank you. And on a separate note, like... I love that you guys figured out how to pair art and words of mine that were completely unrelated for the for a future issue. And I'm just completely smitten with it. I keep telling people, I'm like, they found out that these things match and they totally match. So that was awesome. Like you nailed it. Yeah, that's um, that was the origin story of uh, part of the origin story of uh, of the of the website. So putting visual art and literary art together in weird and unusual and unexpected ways. Um, so yeah, I was just kind of like, that the, the creator <laughs> didn't think of it. Like I didn't know they were connected yeah. and I was like, Oh, look at that. I know okay, the, the, the synapses are always firing. <laughs> <laughs> Bye everyone. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks y'all. Take care. Thank you all very much. Right. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Aaron. Right. Everybody be well. Take care. Hope to see y'all soon. Yeah. Thank see you. Next you. Time, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs>